0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: The Supreme Court of the United Kingdom has a ring to it. It only makes the biggest judgments. ...like last week's.
0: This is uh, probably the biggest political, uh, constitutional moment here in Scotland in very many years.
2: In a rebuff to the ruling Scottish National Party, the Court ruled that the Scottish Parliament does not have the authority to hold another independence referendum.
0: This is a big blow to First Minister Nicola Sturgeon's case uh, for holding a second vote on the 19th of October next year. That was the plan of attack.
2: Actually, one of them that they are secretly perhaps rather relieved that they don't have to have a referendum next October because the the polling suggests that things are, are very finely balanced. That's the cynical interpretation that it sort of gets them off the hook from having to hold a referendum. For the naive outsider, it may have seemed like the constitutional question, which had never gone away, despite the independent side clearly losing a referendum back in 2014, had finally been laid to rest. But only for a moment.
1: We must and we will find another democratic, lawful and constitutional means by which the Scottish people can express their will. In my view, that can only be... An election.
2: The leader of the SNP, Nicola Sturgeon, says the only way to answer this question once and for all is to turn the Scottish part of the next UK general election into a de facto referendum. But what is a de facto referendum, really? Could it be the next step towards Scottish independence or one last throw of the dice for Scotland's most charismatic politician? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Nicola Sturgeon's Great Independence Gamble.
3: My name's Ciarán Andrews. I'm Scottish political editor at The Times. And it's a funny job that seems to be in some ways a a kind of groundhog day where we keep coming back (laughs) and back and back again to the constitutional question.
2: So Kieran where were you last Wednesday morning when this big Supreme Court decision was made?
3: I was sitting in my office in the Scottish Parliament and just outside of that Office, it's, it's a very nice view overlooking the Palace of Holyrood House. There were the beginnings of gatherings of pro independence supporters, and you know, it, it was quite something being in Edinburgh. Being at, at, you felt at the heart of things, even though you were you know, 500 miles away from where the decision was being made.
2: The government talk of compassion. I see no compassion in their eyes when I see them in Westminster that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because that, that, that must have felt almost symbolic to some of those independent supporters that they were demonstrating at Holyrood and the decision was being made in London.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And what you could see out the window was these people looking at their phones, listening to the decision coming through. And I did feel quite sorry for them when they, they all started cheering when the court announced that it had thrown out the first part of the UK government's case to hear the substantive reading, I think they thought that they had won the court case. I panicked that I'd missed something and then just felt quite a bit of sympathy for these folks who had unfortunately interpreted what turned out to be a pretty comprehensive loss as an early victory.
2: It ain't over till the fat judge sings.
3: (laughs) Something like that.
2: (laughs) Okay, now... You'll have to remind us what exactly was the Supreme Court asked to rule on. And after you told us that, can you tell us how it got to get to the Supreme Court at all? First, this court is the highest court in civil matters for the whole of the UK, including Scotland. It applies the law.
3: Yeah, the Supreme Court was effectively asked to rule whether or not the Scottish Parliament has the power to hold a unilateral independence referendum and it got there because we're at an impasse in Scottish politics the the SNP the Scottish National Party keeps winning elections and keeps saying with each election victory that it's a mandate for independence referendum and the UK government which up until this point was always assumed but never properly tested to have powers over the constitution effectively kept saying no saying we had a referendum in 2014, where the No Campaign to Keep the Union Together won with 55% of the vote. And so Nicola Sturgeon, the Scottish First Minister, asked the Lord Advocate, who is the most senior legal advisor to the Scottish Government, to refer the case to the Supreme Court so the legality of it could be tested. Now, this was an, an unusual move to refer a case to the court before the legislation had passed Holyrood, It was because Lord Advocate had told Nicola Sturgeon she didn't have the necessary confidence that the referendum bill was actually within Holyrood's powers. So there's a pretty clear indication of where things might go, you know, from the very start.
2: Really interesting. So now, can you lay out what the arguments were from each side that they put up to the court as to why their view of it should win?
3: So the Scottish government put forward an argument that the question needed to be resolved and that effectively no referendums are legally binding. So although powers over the constitution and the integrity of the union may sit at Westminster, Holyrood putting forward a referendum to see whether the people of Scotland wanted independence would effectively be a glorified opinion poll. And the UK government argued, well, two things actually. First of all, the UK government tried to get the case thrown out, saying that, as I mentioned before, this was a very unusual way of doing things and it was up to Nicola Sturgeon to find a way to get her legislation through the Scottish Parliament if she wanted it to end up in the Supreme Court. But then, secondly, argued that the Scotland Act, which was the piece of legislation that brought the Scottish Parliament into force, was very clear Anything that affects the integrity of the UK is reserved to Westminster. On top of that, the SNP was allowed to make a written submission to the court where it talked about comparing Scotland with Kosovo and other nations that have been through much more violent and and bloody struggles. This was thrown out and and actually ridiculed a bit by the justices when they came to their decision.
2: Um, So this is rather interesting, isn't it? Because the Scottish government's position seems to consist of, one, we're kind of like an oppressed nation like Kosovo was, and we have the right to create a vote. And second, this particular vote, even if we created it, wouldn't be binding and therefore isn't such a big problem. Um, That sounds like a bit of a contradiction.
3: So I think that's why it's important to remember that argument about it wouldn't be binding was advanced by the Ward Advocate, who once she has done her turn with the Scottish government, will go back to the bar. And the SNP, who made, effectively, the oppressed colony rhetoric, is party lawyers advancing not just a legal argument, but a pretty clear political narrative it wanted to add to that as well.
2: So, you then got the ruling from the Supreme Court. I should say that we are pleased that the court has been able to give judgment within a shorter time than I had indicated might be necessary. That's partly because the court is unanimous. You You said at the beginning the Supreme Court firstly seemed to suggest for the first part that maybe they were leaning towards the Scottish Government and Lord Advocate's position. The court has decided that it does have the power to decide the question referred to it
0: by the Lord Advocate.
3: What the Supreme Court did was it just threw out the UK government's argument that the substantive issue shouldn't be addressed at all.
0: The court also accepts the Lord Advocate's argument that it is in the public interest that the court should decide the question referred to it. But
3: then it went on to completely dismantle the Scottish government's case as well and say that it was entirely plain that all of the relevant powers are in fact held at Westminster, and it was unequivocal.
2: The Scottish Parliament does not have the power to legislate for a referendum on Scottish independence. The court will now adjourn. Kieran, we're going to go to the response in Scotland to the ruling in a moment, but first, how did the UK government respond?
3: So the UK government welcomed the ruling. It said that effectively it's now time to move on from the constitutional question and for the UK government and the Scottish government to work together.
0: And I think that the people of Scotland want us to be working on fixing the major challenges that we collectively face, whether that's the economy, supporting the NHS or indeed supporting Ukraine. Now is the time for politicians to work together and that's what this government will do.
3: Rishi Sunak doubled down on the language of his predecessors, as trust, Boris Johnson and Theresa May, probably the only thing that all four of them have agreed on entirely, that now is not the time (laughs) to hold a referendum citing the cost of living crisis and the war in Ukraine.
2: And what about the UK Labour Party, which at the moment seems to stand a very good chance of being in government after 2024?
3: It's quite interesting on the Labour Party. They... They welcomed the Supreme Court judgment as well. Um, the Scottish Labour Party had said it was right for the question to be tested in court. But the UK Labour Party has ruled out, again agreeing to a referendum, and has ruled out once again any sort of prospect of any kind of deal with the SNP after the next general election, even if Keir Starmer could do with those extra votes to get himself into Downing Street.
2: Coming up, how Nicola Sturgeon's response to the Supreme Court ruling has now changed the debate entirely. That's after a quick message from a colleague.
1: I'm Louise Callahan, a foreign correspondent for The Sunday Times. I work from the front lines of international politics and war, bringing you stories from the Black Sea to the Persian Gulf. We can only do this thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month sold. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Let's now talk about how people in Scotland have responded. Firstly, Nicola Sturgeon, what did she say about it?
1: Good morning, everybody. Um, As you uh, may have heard... uh, So
2: Nicola Sturgeon urged people to
3: respect the court's decision, but she said that this ends any kind of idea that the UK is a voluntary union.
1: Let's be absolutely blunt. A so-called partnership in which one partner is denied the right to choose a different future, or even to ask itself the question cannot be described in any way as voluntary or even a partnership at all.
3: And she said that if the UK government will not agree to a second referendum, which it has repeatedly said it will not do, then she will use the next general election as a de facto referendum on Scottish independence.
1: The next national election scheduled for Scotland is of course the UK general election making that both the first and the most obvious opportunity to seek what I described back in June as a de facto referendum.
3: Effectively, 50% plus one of the popular vote going to pro-independence parties. She would take that as a mandate for the Scottish government to begin independence negotiations with the UK government.
1: As of today, democracy is what is at stake. This is no longer just about whether or not Scotland becomes independent, vital though that decision is. It is now more fundamental. It is now about whether or not we even have the basic democratic right to choose our own future.
2: Let's look at how that is supposed to work. You go into the 2024 election, if that's when it is. Could be before, but that's when it's likely to be. And if a majority of voters in Scotland vote in our first-past-the-post system for parties that support independence, she will say that that should be taken as de facto support for independence as a proposition. Pretty
3: much. There's going to be an extraordinary s and conference early in the new year that will iron out some of those details. But as far as we can tell, yes, pretty much exactly that.
2: So let's, let's take us through how that process would happen. Let's say that's exactly what happens, which is that for whatever reason, because actually people vote in elections for many different reasons, but for whatever reason, pro-independence parties do get 51% of the actual popular vote. What will they then do?
3: Well, then they will go to whichever Prime Minister has been elected and say, the people of Scotland have spoken and we demand to negotiate Scotland's exit from the UK. It's very, very, very unlikely that whether it's Rishi Sunak, whether it's Keir Starmer, they will agree outright to negotiating the breakup of the United Kingdom because of a general election result. What will be interesting to see is what they do offer, because there is a sense that if more than half of the Scottish electorate does vote for pro-independence parties, you know, that the SNP in their height of success in 2015 hit spot on the 50% mark, but have never quite got over that line, that would be something, that would be a big moment, and something we'd have to give. The question is, what is that?
2: What do the other Scottish political parties say about Sturgeon's notion of the de facto referendum and using the next election in that way. They are all pretty dismissive of it as a tactic. I have lost count of how many times the First Minister has launched a new independence campaign, each with less energy and momentum than the last. While Nicola Sturgeon goes through the motions, people wait days for an ambulance.
3: There's been various insults thrown around. Ultimately, the opposition parties say that a general election is not a single issue vote. It it cannot be construed as a vote for independence. But they are taking a kind of lose-lose approach for Nicola Sturgeon, where they are saying that it is illegitimate and a 50% plus vote for the SNP and pro-independence parties shouldn't be taken as a referendum result. Pretty sure that if it's under 50%, those same parties will be arguing that Nicola Sturgeon has lost the referendum, should resign and the dream is
2: dead. Let's talk now about what it is that you can tell about what Scottish people want. So we talked a lot about what if more than 50% of voters vote for an independence party. Firstly, how likely does that seem?
3: It's a big ask. As I said, the highest that the SNP has ever got in terms of vote share in a general election was that bang-on 50% in 2015. Now, if you remember the context for that, that was when Nicola Sturgeon was, was like some kind of rock star.
2: Do I introduce the leader of the Scottish National Party? Not enough. Do I introduce Scotland's First Minister? Not powerful enough. Do I introduce the leader of the UK's third largest party? Not big enough yet. I want to introduce to you the only party leader in the UK who people actually like. Ladies and gentlemen, the leader of the SNP, Scotland's First Minister, or as we like to call her, Nicola Sturgeon.
3: It was an extraordinary political moment just months after the 2014 independence referendum. Since then, the vote has gone down. It is, I mean, don't get me wrong, the SNP are still the dominant force in Scottish politics, sitting at roughly 45% of the vote at the moment, according to the recent opinion polls. But whether they can squeeze that over the line, the other pro-independence parties like the Scottish Greens don't tend to do particularly well in general elections. So the weight will be on the S&P's shoulders, and it, it's a, going to be a pretty big heave to get it even just that, that extra six or so percent that they might need to get over the line. It's, it's a pretty big shove.
2: Now, I imagine that people in Scotland are facing pretty much the same kinds of problems that people in the rest of the UK are. Cost of living crisis, strikes, inflation, and so on. How do Scots see that in the context of discussions about the constitution and the possibility of having a referendum do they think a referendum might conceivably solve all these problems or do they keep them entirely separate in their minds no they're
3: definitely intertwined to degree. certainly Nicole Sturgeon has made that argument when you know it's been put to her that this is not the right time because of the economic instability and she has argued that well voting for independence is the chance for Scotland to take a different path under her leadership with, as she argues, the the full powers of independence. What is interesting is we kind of do a, a tracker as often as we can of polling in Scotland and public opinion in Scotland as to people's priorities and what has been, by far and away, the two biggest priorities, both in May when we surveyed this year and then just a few weeks ago were the health service and the economy were the two biggest priorities for people the economy just edging out the health service both times and independence in May was quite far back there was you know there was only sixteen percent of people said it should be one of the main priorities for the Scottish government, but then it had risen a bit by October so up to twenty percent not a massive leap still. Pretty far back, down about fourth or fifth in terms of people's priorities, but gathering a little bit of momentum. It'll be interesting to see as we go into the winter and people's energy bills spike again and the cost of living crisis contracts again, whether or not this will focus people's minds on the economy in particular, but also a struggling health service across the UK or whether this push for an independence referendum will nudge that up the rankings and to the forefront of people's minds.
2: The other thing that I, I was wondering was it was it, it, it always used to be said that it was good for the SNP's argument for independence if there was a conservative, strong conservative government in Westminster. And it was said again after the Brexit vote, which, of course, the Scots voted against, which was, look, you can't get what you would want. You, you always get what you least want in Scotland from the association with the UK. How far do people think that might be damaged by the fact that Labour is so far ahead in the polls and, as we said earlier, might look quite likely to form the next government.
3: You can see Nicola Sturgeon trying to figure out how to deal with that. For so long, it's been kind of easy for her to say, well, I prefer a UK government, but we're stuck with the Tories. And now she's pivoted on effectively saying that because of Keir Starmer's stance on Brexit and immigration that Labour and the Tories are one and the same, there's no difference between them. And I think to anyone looking in objectively and applying even the smallest amount of critical analysis, that simply isn't true, whatever you think of either party. So it is a slightly difficult issue for Nicola Sturgeon to take on and one that she's not had to do so far in her exceptionally successful reign as
2: First Minister. I, I'm just wondering one other thing, which is, has the experience of Brexit, the whole consequence of the Brexit vote and then subsequently, has that in some ways dampened the desire for some, you know, a division in any way?
3: Well, the Brexit referendum in some ways made the ultimate SNP democratic deficit point that 62% of people in Scotland voted Remained. But overall, the vote across the the UK obviously had that famous 52% of the UK population voting leave. So it made the political case very, very strongly. Nicola Sturgeon used that to re-energise a renewed push for independence. But the point that you're making about the practicalities of Brexit and the practicalities of independence is something that is definitely hanging in the back of, of some people's minds, Because it's no longer theoretical what happens when a member state or a constituent part leaves a union. There are tough negotiations, there's a deal, not everyone is happy with that deal, absolutely. The political argument is much, much stronger, but on a practical level, the Brexit negotiations, the fallout from Brexit has definitely planted or cemented some doubts in some people's minds
2: and finally, let's talk a bit about Nicola Sturgeon herself. As you say, she's kind of presided like a rock star over Scottish politics. Is she likely to continue for a long time or is she thinking about her future? Do we know? Nicola Sturgeon has been the
3: standout political operator, standout politician in Scotland. I think it, it's arguable across the UK over the last decade or so. She's an election-winning machine and has shown that with the SNP both at a UK level and at a Holyrood level. The problem with setting up a de facto referendum is that we know what is expected of political leaders if they lose a referendum. Alex Salmond resigned in 2014 after losing the independence referendum. David Cameron resigned in 2016 after losing the Brexit referendum. And if Nicola Sturgeon was not to win a de facto referendum that she has set the terms for, it would be expected that she would stand down. This would bring down the curtain on one of the most successful period for Scottish nationalism in the history of the movement. And one of the problems for the SNP for the independence movement is whoever replaces Nicola Sturgeon is frankly going to have a really, really tough job. And there's not much confidence that they'll be up to the task.
2: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Scottish political editor at The Times, Kieran Andrews. You can find all of Kieran's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. Taryn Siegel will be picking up your emails. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.